Welcome to another episode of the Let's Sip Podcast, the podcast where we pontificate on all things craft beer. I am your host, Brandon Gaylor, and uh, it's definitely beer fest season, uh, especially not only in Chicago, but across the, U- the U.S. Uh, this past weekend noted the uh, latest entry of the Great American Beer Festival, also known as GABF which is considered to be the premier beer festival in the uh, in the country. They were, it was founded in 1982 and this year uh, featured approximately 4,000 beers. It is uh, it represents the largest collection of US beer ever served according to their website. Um, so that definitely makes them probably one of the biggest beer festivals in the world, if not only in the United States. And this year, um, Chicago, the Chicago, and Chicago and the state of Illinois made another strong showing at GABF. Uh, and I'm proud to say that one of the big gold medal winners is a beer I actually got to try uh, before it actually won. And not only did it win a gold medal, it was the first to do so in its particular category. Uh, the category was brand new this year. And it was the category of the Juicy or Hazy IPA, which is uh, brand new this year, um, definitely in response to the growing popularity of the New England style IPA or the Hazy IPA market. And the gold medal winner this for the, the, the inaugural gold medal winner for this category happened to come out of Chicago, and that would have been uh, Alarmist Brewing with their uh, juicy hazy IPA called Le Jus, uh, spelled L-E-J-U-S. I got to try this beer a little while back and uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, but everything that has come out of Alarmist Brewing has been really great so far. Um, I just recently uh, checked out my untapped check-in of the beer and uh, Alarmist definitely falls inside the category of one of the breweries that can always have my money because they're always doing quality stuff and they're always doing something interesting and the uh, the Leju was no different. Um, you had the juiciness there up front but it was also still very well balanced. It didn't feel like a glass of juice or like a juicy milkshake. Uh, I know that appeals to some people but I'm, I like my I, uh, New England styles and my juicy hazies a little more balanced. And I felt like Leju um, did that in spades. So Leju happened to be uh, very delicious. And it's great to see a brewery, brewery like Alarmist um, succeeding here and uh, getting some recognition for uh, their quality beers because they're putting out quality stuff. I've been following them since back in the day when their name was uh, initially Panic, uh, when they were initially opening their, their uh, brewery. Uh, it was just a few years ago where they were working on opening up their space, uh, and I was following them along on their Facebook page, just walk, um, just watching their development, and uh, so it's 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 nice to see them uh, uh, having the success and the recognition. I know um, the owner is really concerned about making quality beer. Um, during their initial brew phase, they were they had to dump a whole batch of beer because it wasn't up to standards. So you know that uh, he's definitely concerned with producing quality stuff. I also got to speak to him a little bit a few years back at the uh, Oak Park Micro Brew Review. Uh, he was there in the um, 
uh, Replicale at Tents and just getting to talk to him. And he's a really nice guy, seemed really down to earth and just loves the beer. So to see him succeed in this space was, uh, was a, a great thing. And uh, Maplewood, another another small brewery that has grown leaps and bounds, including opening their uh, their own taproom space in the last year or two. Uh, they repeated in the American style pale ale category, uh, collecting another bronze medal for the Charlatan, uh, a very delicious, well balanced uh, uh, pale ale, and uh, definitely worthy of a win in such a category. Uh, a couple of Plainfield breweries. Uh, took home medals at uh, Midnight Pig Beer and Workforce Brewing. And Workforce has even seen some of their beer uh, reaching the Chicago area market on draft and in a, a few different places. And Smiley Brothers out of Evanston, which is a uh, suburb just slightly north of Chicago, um, they won their um, second in as many years silver uh, metal in the fruit wheat beer category for their purple line. Um, their purple line seems to be a perennial shower at the Great American Beer Festival and they keep, seem to keep continuing to meddle with that beer so their name pops up quite often each year uh, when the AGA BF medal winners are announced. Revolution Brewing's Straight Jackets, their barrel aged barley wine, uh, made a showing in the wood and barrel aged strong beer category collecting a bronze medal there. And Chicago made a name for itself in the uh, Juicy or Hazy IPA category, not just winning gold, but uh, they also collected a bronze medal. The uh, brand new uh, to the Chicago scene um, brewery, Eris Brewery and Cider House, uh, actually took the bronze medal for their Folk and Haze um, New England style IPA in that category. So Chicago ended up, winning, ended up winning two out of the three medals in that particular category. I would say what would be a surprise shower at the festival would be a gold medal for Argus Brewery. Argus uh, was quite popular uh, several years ago. I know their tours were always um, highly lauded, but then their beer started to slip. There were some quality control issues. And a few years ago, they started making the rounds to acknowledge it and try to re-enter the market with some of their beer. Uh, I tried their beer at that point and still found most of it to be uh, slightly hit or miss, a little too homebrewish, and uh, a little too many off flavors in some of their stuff. Uh, but they've returned to the scene in a big way at GABF, it appears. They're, uh, they took home a gold medal in the other strong beer category for what they call their Golden Prairie Doppel Alt. So uh, perhaps Argus will be another brewery to watch uh, in the next several months to see what they do next. And perhaps their beer is, uh, uh, has definitely improved and uh, perhaps they'll become a player in uh, not only uh, space like this, but just in the Chicago market alone. One of the big things I enjoyed seeing was um, Tighthead Brewing ended up taking home a gold medal for their Scarlet Fire. Uh, they took that home in the Irish style or Irish style red ale category. Uh, Tighthead is out of a uh, suburb in um, a Chicago suburb uh, called Mundelein, which is about uh, an hour or so ride away from uh, Chicago. They just celebrated their seventh anniversary for when they start first 
uh, brewed their first beer. So uh, it's great to see them um, getting some recognition and some love at GABF as well. Uh, they're always producing quality stuff. I know every time I like to go to their tap room, I love when they have a particular beer on tap called Tube. It's an English, it's an English style mild that uh, hits about the uh, ABV of about 2.5%. Serve it in, you in a 20 ounce glass and you can just sit there and revel in all that flavor for such a low ABV. Uh, man, it's a great beer, especially if you love the style and we're looking for something with a lot of flavor and very low ABV that you can kind of crush. Um, I love having that beer on tap. And that just goes along uh, plenty of their other offerings. And they always have a great great selection, great rotation. There's always a great uh, large quantity of great stuff on tap to enjoy there. Um, so it's great to see them getting the recognition and the love as well. Even if I don't, uh, Scarlet Fire is part, not particularly my favorite beer from them, but uh, it's great to see them getting recognition and uh, everything they do is uh, quality, which is a big part of the uh, craft beer game, of course. And speaking of Tighthead Brewing, I got to revisit their Oktoberfest again this past weekend, and it was one of many that I got to sample while I was uh, pouring at the Beer Hoptacular, which is a craft beer festival um, that's bowed for about, I think, eight years now in the city of Chicago. But this was the first time it was at a... A unique location which happened to be a helicopter port. Uh, it was a very port location uh, and around like uh, the Douglas Parkish kind of um, south of like the uh, uh, UIC medical campus area. I don't know if that's Douglas Park or not so I guess I'll try to avoid categorizing it any further because I don't know neighborhoods of Chicago all that well. But anyhow this took place at a helicopter port, which uh, did not disappoint. When I first walked up to the venue, uh, there was a helicopter uh, sitting out in the space. It's uh, blades whipping around. I actually captured a video of it on my Instagram. Uh, but I, we got to see helicopters taking off and landing throughout the course of the festival. The, uh, the hangar area uh, provide an excellent view to watch the helicopters coming and going. Uh, taking people up on uh, aerial tours and whatnot. But the uh, the Oktoberfests were in plentiful supply at the festival, uh, and I had enough around me that I got to sample a few different ones um, just while I was pouring and getting to just uh, hand out samples of beer to all the patrons. Um, right next to me, I had the, uh, uh, the Itasca Fest from Church Street, which is a brewery out of another Chicago suburb called Itasca. And um, down, down the way from them, I also had the Oktoberfest from Burnt City Brewing. And then uh, just down the way, I had uh, Tighthead, which was pouring their Oktoberfest, along with their Irie IPA, which is always a, uh, a must-have, a must-try if you can get that on tap. It's delicious. Um, on Saturday, that was no exception. And then just a couple doors down from them was uh, Pollyanna, and they were pouring their Fruhoff Oktoberfest. So I got to uh, kind of have a little bit of each of those, and uh, I would say each of them kind of pro provided their own benefits, and they all tasted a little bit different and had their own thing going for them, which was, uh, which was quite nice to say. It was a surprising and uh, uh, a great thing to have so many great Oktoberfests produced uh, in the city of Chicago. 
and uh, so many different ones to try locally. Uh, we we are really spoiled in that regard, not just in beer in general, but see so many of one particular. Everybody has their own unique take on a particular style. I need to make it over to uh, Metropolitan's tent, which I'm sure they were pouring their, or I hope they were pouring their afterburner, which um, has my take for probably one of the best Oktoberfests around, uh, if not the best Oktoberfest locally. But uh, to have that particular uh, range of stuff and a range of Oktoberfests present, uh, that was just what was close to me that I could sneak away and grab a pour in between pouring beer for people. Uh, was very impressive, and I was delighted to see that going on. Uh, another particular beer I'd like to mention that I got to try was, um, I, I'm always looking for stuff I haven't seen before, and while I love to revisit stuff that I've always enjoyed, it's nice to see those new beers um, coming out and stuff that um, I don't get to usually try. Uh, the other beer Pollyanna was pouring was a Brute IPA called Very Cherry. I was super impressed with this beer. It was uh, dry, like you would expect from a brewed IPA, uh, but the fruit was very toned down as well. It wasn't overly done. I'm not a big fruit in the beer type of guy to begin with, so I like when the fruit is dialed back a little bit, and this definitely wasn't overly sweet. The cherry was up there up front, but it let the hops play enough and come forward enough uh, that the cherry didn't overpower, kind of stayed in its lane, and... Um, it was quite impressive. I had to recommend it to, the, to a couple of guys next to me to go grab a pour of that, and they definitely did, and they kind of thought the same thing. So it was nice to uh, be able to try that. As, like I said, I love to try the unique stuff and something different that I haven't usually seen. I have to say I was a little bit spoiled, too, because immediately to the uh, booth right to the left of me uh, was Prairie, Prairie Artisan Ales. And they were pouring a couple of powerhouses in their uh, Phantasmagoria double IPA. And then they had the Prairie Bomb. Yes, they were actually serving Prairie Bomb. So I managed, uh, I made sure to get myself a pour of that. Can't remember if it was one pour or two. Tried to limit myself, of course, as the beer is a 13% ABV. But uh, anytime you get an opportunity to try a bomb, especially uh, pouring on tap, you definitely got to give that a whirl, which I did. And down the lane on the other side of Prairie was Virtue Cider. Now, I'm usually not a big cider fan. Um, uh, after I recently read uh, Barrel Age Stouts and Selling Out, which was the story of Goose Island's sale, and um, uh, considering you know, one of the, 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 the founder of Virtue Cider is uh, the previous brew head, head brewmaster at Goose Island, uh, Greg Hall. Um, I kind of had my opinions about, you know, Goose now and that, all that whole thing. But still, um, I'm just not a big cider fan anyhow, so I usually steer clear. But Virtue Ciders have been relatively solid up until this point, I think. And, uh, I was open to giving them another try. I got to sample a pour of their, uh, Rosé, their Virtue Rosé. And, um, I can see why people love their stuff. Um, a few days ago, I was at Link's Tap Room downtown. I got to try there some of their uh, the Michigan Brute they had on tap there. Um, I'm not quite a convert into ciders just yet, but I do appreciate some of them. Uh, the ones that are a little less sweet and a little more balanced, I definitely prefer those. 
But uh, who who knows? Maybe I'll one day get into the cider game a little heavier. But right now, it's just my not my thing. But I love to keep my mind open, like to try new things when they become available. So I will always do that. So now I know what you all are wondering is, what were you pouring at the fest, Brandon? Well, um, I have volunteered for this particular outfit that puts on these fests for the past few few years. Um, I love getting the opportunity to pour beer. Uh, I love getting to talk to people about craft beer. I would consider myself somewhat of an introvert. Uh, I'm usually quiet, reserved for pe with people I don't know. But um, when it comes to craft beer, I do like talking beer to people. So I, I love it. I always have a great time. But the funny thing is, is every time I volunteer one of these fests to pour or something like that, it always seems something goes wrong. And this time around was no exception. So there were a handful of cards there um, for you to choose from. I got there super early because who doesn't arrive early to a beer festival? I mean, really, I always marvel at people. Like, even if I'm attending a festival to drink as a patron, who gets to a beer festival late? Like, really? Like, you be early for that. You know what I mean? Like, who, who, I don't, I don't get it. Who would show up at a beer festival late? If you would think somebody would come late to anything, it wouldn't be a beer festival where you can have unlimited beer servings for three hours or two hours or whatever the time is. Come on, people. Like, you need to get your priorities together. But anyhow, so I, w I wanted to make sure I was uh, uh, significantly early on time. I didn't exactly quite know where the venue was, so I want to give myself plenty of time to get there. So I, I arrived there, and they have a handful of cards to choose from of breweries that you could pour for. And usually this is the case of they've kind of sampled who has brewery representatives there and who doesn't. So like who, who has a table or who has beer there that really needs somebody to pour for them because there's not going to be anybody there. And that's I really appreciate that because that's what I'm all about. I don't want to see anybody's beer sitting there going to waste because there's nobody there to pour for them. So I like that they kind of plan for that. And if nobody brewery rep's going to be there, it's nice to have somebody there to pour and make sure that beer gets poured out. So anyway, I was looking through all the selection of what they had there in the cards, and uh, there was Evil Twin. And I'm like, well, Evil Twin is always doing some interesting stuff, and um, I haven't seen them at a festival too often beforehand, so let's definitely go with them. So I picked Evil Twin. So I grab my card, and I'm off to the races. I uh, head over to where my table's going to be or my area's going to be, make sure I know where it is, make sure I'm getting rare up to, rare to go, and I walk over to my table, and of course, in that particular section of tables where there's maybe five or six breweries there, mine is the only one that isn't sitting on ice, hooked up to the uh, the gas already. The Sixtals are just sitting there. First of all, they're just Sixtals, which I'm thinking, you know, if, if it's busy enough, this beer's not going to last. Um, the VIP uh, group started at three. A general admission started at 4, and this festival went till 8. So, you know, I'm thinking 4 or 5 hours, and I've got two Sixtals. Uh, this isn't going to last me too long. So that was kind of at the back of my mind, but I'm thinking, you know what? If I can switch over to another table or leave somebody, that'll be all right. I, there's, you know, I can go have them reassign me if I run out of beer or whatever. But uh, not having the gas hooked up and not having the beer already sitting on ice and everything like that, that was an issue. So I hunted somebody down. They said they were going to work to do what they could for me. But I just kind of thought that was funny because it's always some sort of issue when 
I show up at a festival. At previous times, uh, I picked a table where there was already plenty of help. They had two brewery reps, so I ended up pouring like a sparkling water. Um, there, was a, there was a guy there that ended up kind of doing that, um, this particular fest, and I kind of told, I, I sympathized with him, told him I kind of had to do the same previous times. But it's always usually something odd like that, or I, you know, just something comes up. So I kind of expected it. But they finally got the kegs hooked up and everything like that. So 3 o'clock rolls around, and it's about, it's getting close to having the, uh, the VIPs start to show up. And I happened to look down at one of my sixtals. And I happened to notice this, that there was a date stamp on the, uh, the cap to the keg. And it says, you know, December. And so I happened to look at the year. It's December 2017. So I'm like, uh-oh, this isn't good. Because this particular beer I'm serving is a uh, called a Coffee Aid or Coffee Nade, which was an IPA with lemon and coffee added. And so then I happened to glance over at the other keg to see what the date is. Well, first of all, I look at the cap and I say, this is, you know, from December of 2017. So then I'm like, let's look at the actual label or the, the keg ring to make sure, let's see what the date is on that. Maybe it's just a cap they reused. Well, I look at the, the, the keg ring and it says the same date. It's marking, you know, December is the date and then the day. Because usually it has months, it has a list of months and it has a list of dates. And then there, there's usually some uh, X'd out for each date. That's usually how keg rings work. And so the date on the keg ring is reflective and matches the date on the keg cap. So then I'm thinking, uh, well, this is great. So then I happen to look over to the other beer, which is the Molotov Light, which is an Imperial IPA or double IPA. And this one is a little bit better, but still not very good. Uh, considering it was from March 23rd of 2018. So this is approximately about six months old at this time. So I was stuck pouring a uh, IPA with coffee and lemon uh, uh, that is nine months old, over nine months old, and a double IPA which was right about the six-month mark. Well... As I happen to have volunteered at these festivals a number of times, and I kind of know who the founder and the guy who runs the festival is, I was able to track him down and just let him know that I said, you know, with kegs, these, they're this old, you might want to talk to the distributor and see if you can get a refund. Because from what I understand, uh, these festivals actually have to pay for the kegs um, to serve at the festival. And it's probably kind of one of the reasons why these beers end up at the festival is that they might be old or ones that haven't been able to be sold. I hope that's not the case, but you never know. Um, so I tracked him down, let him know, so hopefully they can get their money recouped or whatever. And I still ended up serving the beer. I wouldn't, you know, they could have pulled it. That was their decision or not. Um, I would say that they didn't, they didn't necessarily taste bad. My thing is, is it's these aren't these beers were not as the brewery intended them to be served. Uh, I wish there was a different circumstance, but at the same time, after a few beers at a festival, anyhow, nobody really can taste the pure essence of the beer anymore. It's just a fact. I mean, 
you know, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying after a while, your taste buds are so destroyed. Nobody can really tell a difference from beer to beer. Um, the beers were still immensely popular. People kept coming back for the coffee nade. Um, people enjoyed the Molotov LT as well. Nobody really seemed to even mention that the hops were gone or tasted off. Um, the only people that would have done that was early on. And like the first couple of people actually mentioned that the kegs were old and they might not be up to snuff. But after a while, just nobody knows the difference anyhow. So of course, like I said, it's always something, something crazy comes up. Uh, but still had a plenty good showing. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked because I didn't end up uh, kicking either one of the kegs, which I was very surprised by. Um, but it was still a great time, and I always love to see repeat people coming by my tent. Um, last time I poured at a fest, or one of the previous times I poured at a fest, was at the um, Chicago Ale Fest during the summer. It was uh, at an area of Grant Park. And I nearly kicked the whole keg of uh, Salamothus Kolsch Lou. And um, I always love to see that. I love to see people coming back and revisiting and saying, you know, this is the favorite beer I've had here. Because even though it's not my beer and I can't claim any of that or I can't claim the credit, at least I, I enjoy seeing people coming back and having that conversation and um, getting to uh, reach out to those people again. So it's always a lot of fun. And this fest was no different, but I do have to say that I hope, I hope the beer fest isn't going the way of like the movie theater experience and where that like the, the, uh, attendance is kind of slowly dwindling. Um, I know GABF has seen their sales go down and, um, uh, I felt like there was a bit of a lull at the festival this past weekend as well. There was about, there was a time when I would say there was about an hour and a half left to go. And I felt like the crowd had kind of slowed down a little bit. Uh, there was a good amount of people there. But um, they seemed to have all kind of moved away from the actual beer tables and weren't really looking for more beer. There was a bit of a, a lull and people had just kind of slowed down. Which surprised me. I mean, I don't, I don't think I have to say that like people need to continuously drink for all four hours because we all hit that point where we rush, we rush, we rush, and when we need a break. But um, I just kind of felt it like slowed down a little bit, and there was less people there than I would have expected. Um, and I know well, they always say with these festivals that they expect them to sell out in advance, uh, but they were looking at hoping to do another. Uh, I believe the founder had said when we were doing our initial training was they're looking to do our 200 to 300 ticket sales at the door. So they obviously did not sell out in advance. And I don't think they even quite approached what they were expecting to do. Maybe they did. Um, I felt like the crowd was a little bit smaller than I would have expected. It was still a great time, but I, like I said, I just hope we're not seeing... Uh, this trend in beer festivals going forward because I, I would definitely wouldn't want to see the slowdown in festivals or to see less festivals going on because uh, people just aren't that interested anymore. That would be a real shame. But um, no, it was another fun time. I love pouring beer at these events. Um, it's great to talk to people about beer. Uh, it's great to see a uh, common ground. And um, it's it's just a great time. So 
if you love craft beer and you happen to be a little bit of an introvert like myself, I would highly recommend looking into volunteering and uh, pouring at a craft beer festival. Um, sometimes they'll get you into the festival if they have like two, if they have two different sessions, sometimes you can get in the next session for free. Uh, sometimes they'll give, let you into a fest in the future for free. Uh, but don't even look at it that way. Just go to enjoy and have a good time. Um, uh, highly recommend it. It's always a lot of fun and, uh, it's always great to talk to brewers and meet new people and everything else. And, uh, you can't go wrong, so I definitely recommend it if you've not done that. Well, that's enough rambling about beer festivals at this time. Uh, let's talk about what I'm drinking for this particular episode. Right now, I've been sipping on the Ghost Tropic, which is a double IPA from a local Chicago brewery called Forbidden Root. And Forbidden Root has had an interesting trajectory in the beer game. Um, this is a brewery that initially started with um, uh, aiming more towards the botanical-style brewing. Uh, one of their initial flagship beers was the Wildflower Pale Ale. Um, they also had one called Monkey on My Rind which uh, looks like they might not make any more uh, considering what their website is showing me, but at the same time, their website does not include the Ghost Tropic, which I am now drinking. As I went there to look for more information, they don't even have that on their website, so who knows? Um, but I know the uh, Wildflower Pale Ale is still one of their flagships. Um, another one is the Strawberry Basil. And another is a uh, dry hopped farmhouse ale called Hay Fever. So uh, they've definitely, um, their initial niche was more into the realm of the botanical uh, and the um, um, incorporating those elements into their brewing style. I know they did a root beer early on. Um, that kind of featured that particular motif. But their popularity has shot up immensely once they started brewing uh, big IPAs and um, uh, very hoppy and uh, now hazy IPAs, um, which uh, one of the ones that uh, kind of fit to this niche early on and remains very popular was one called Snoochie Boochies, which just hit another uh, limited canning run. So it's been an interesting road for Forbidden Root. Um, I'm not really certain on how well their botanical style beers are selling uh, alongside their more um, hazy double dry hop stuff and their IPAs. Um, I know that as it, in the retail market, uh, in the realm or in the area where I particularly live, um, I've seen their, of course, their limited IPAs and their limited hoppy stuff um, has far outsold uh, their their um, flagship beers. Um, I don't know if that's the same elsewhere or if that's just something I've seen in my market. But it's been an interesting road. I think they've shied away a little bit from their core beers. I could be wrong. Um, that could just be me assessing the situation in the wrong way. Uh, but I feel like 
their hoppy stuff and their their one-offs have done a lot better than their flagships but the ghost tropic here um i'm relatively relatively impressed by it's a very tropical uh very tropical of course which fits the name quite well but there's there's a lot of fruity notes on it that um are um um, noteworthy. Um, the reason why I went to the website to check out the beer for more info was to be to look for their particular hot bill, uh, but they don't have any, I can't find this particular beer on their website, so it uh, makes it hard to track that down. But I would be curious to see what kind of hot bill they use in this beer to end up with the uh, uh, the taste that they do, the taste profile that they get here. As I'm recording this, I just stopped off at the uh, untapped site to see if they had any info, which there isn't. And they had a brief uh, blurb on Forbidden Roots' website about the release of Ghost Tropic, but neither one mentions any sort of uh, hops included in the bill here. Uh, but it is definitely very fruit-forward on the taste, um, slightly less bitter on the finish. Um, there's no IPU listing to be found. Um, the ABV is an 8.2%, uh, which is rather significant for a uh, pint can. Um, that is something I noticed even uh, more recently with uh, in the past few days I got to try, I bought a four-pack of the uh, Spiteful Selfies Are For Wieners uh, double IPA. It was one of their first double IPAs to be uh, canned, as opposed to the bomber format, which was originally uh, how their beers were released. And um, even that I knew had been dialed back from like a 9.4% to like an 8.3. And I'm not sure the story about why the ABV was dialed back so much, but it was probably quite a good thing. Um, the the Even an 8 Eight percent ABV, I guess, is a is a slightly high when you're talking like a sixteen ounce can release. Um, looking at a beer like maybe uh, Half Acres Navaja, uh, a ten percent double IPA, um, releasing that into a pint uh, can, um, it definitely gives you more bang for your buck, and that I truly appreciate and can see. But um, finishing like a whole can of a ten percent beer, it just kind of it's heavy. It's uh, it, it definitely weighs on you, and like after that one can, you're already feeling it. And if you're not feeling it, your your taste buds and your palate is at least a little bit exhausted by the time you're almost done drinking that pint. So, um, uh, yeah, eight percent is probably almost the threshold of maybe how high you want to get um, into like a can, like a sixteen ounce beer, because it's like a, for like a one person serving. And that's a lot of times what uh, we solo drinkers or, you know, if you tend to consume a lot of beer by yourself uh, or you don't have anybody around initially that's you're going to want to share a bomber with, that's always why we shy away from bombers. It's like who wants to finish 22 ounces of a big beer in one sitting? That's probably why I don't consume as many sours as I would like. Um, I have to go to my draft house and get a small pour of a sour before I'm going to spend you know, 15 bucks on a 750, try to sit down and drink a sour by myself. The sour could be relatively low ABV, but still, it's, by the time I'm done with it, my, you know, I'm just 
exhausted. My palate's just exhausted, and it's just kind of a struggle to get through. But uh, I think maybe eight. 8% is about the threshold of a pint release in f to enjoy in one serving, but um, uh, it's still very tasty. Um, the fruit forwardness I do like. I think it's nicely well done. Um, it's unique, and I'm not, I'm not like um, bombarded by Citra and Mosaic, with that, which I am with a lot of beers that hit this particular uh, category these days. So I'm very impressed with the Ghost Tropic. I think they've done some great stuff with their uh, hot bill here. Uh, it's definitely a little more fruity than I noticed from many tropical, or uh, many, sorry, not tropical, but hazy or New England style IPAs. Um, not as many are focusing on trying to mimic that particular tropical or fruity notes with the hop bill. Most are just trying to um, create hop bombs and I feel like this beer is uh, doing a little bit different and I give it a lot of credit for that. And I do recall enjoying Snoochie Boochies quite a bit the last time I was able to try it. Um, I don't know what their limited canning run or what they come back with now if I'll still be able to try that or not. Um, I was surprised as I um, I uh, went down to a local bottle shop in the city. Uh, they had just uh, put the latest batch of Snoochie Boochie's cans on the shelf. And when I went back about four days later, um, they still had supply of it on the shelf. So I don't know if it's just the, um, the different variety and competition that's out there now. Uh, I know Hot Butcher is huge. Um, Hot Butcher has maybe taken some of that... Um, that prestige or that uh, that fandom away from uh, a beer like Snoochie Boochies a little bit. Maybe it's just all the competition out there right now, and I was shocked that the Snoochie Boochies was still sitting on the shelf. But um, perhaps it's gone now, or maybe I was just kind of overthinking it, but I would have expected it to be long gone by then. But um, this particular beer I'm quite enjoying. Um, like I said, I think they did a solid job. Um, the fruit profile um, is impressive. They did some uh, great hop. Um, they uh, This is, um, I don't know what hops they use, but they put them together very nicely with this particular beer. And it's reminiscent of something like the uh, Fresh Haze from Deschutes, which was uh, used less traditional hops, but kind of uh, still maintain that essence of the hazy beer, but aim for a little more balanced and a little more fruity as opposed to just uh, blowing it out with the hot bomb. So like I said, this is Ghost Tropic. Uh, this came out a few weeks ago. Uh, I feel like you're probably not going to find too much of this laying around, but if you do find any of the uh, Forbidden Root Ghost Tropic 4-packs, I would definitely recommend picking, recommend picking those up. Uh, if you're at your local bottle shop and they have to happen to sell it by the individual can or let you drink a can there on site or if they have it on tap, uh, definitely get you one of these. This is uh, it's a quality double IPA. Uh, it's definitely in the range of the hazy and juicy, but uh, at the same time, I think it's uh, quite nicely done. The hot build is uh, unique, complex, uh, offering a very fruity uh, aesthetic to it. And... Um, I highly recommend it. It's worth it. 
that will bring the sunset on another episode of the Let's Sip podcast. Uh, podcast themes composed by yours truly, Brandon E. Gaylor. And special thanks to the Anchor platform and Anchor set of tools for allowing this podcast to come into creation. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for drinking with us, and we'll drink with you again soon. Bye-bye.